Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We're going to go to Samuel chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. The title of the message is God Makes a Difference. God Makes a Difference. So let's go ahead and pray uh, before we get into the word of God. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you fill us afresh with your spirit. Once again, Lord, we do ask to be receptive to your word and the work you desire to do in us and through us. I pray for the gift of teaching. I pray to decrease and I pray that you would increase and you will be glorified throughout this night all across this campus, Father. And I pray, Father, for a timely word, to share a timely word. Lord, whatever is your heart at this moment to share with your people, I pray that you put it in my mind and in my mouth. And so, Lord, I just pray that if there's any hardness of hearts that you would Chip away at the hardness. If there's any spiritual blinders, I pray that you would lift them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, God makes a difference. And so the question that I want to start off with tonight is, have you ever added an ingredient to a meal that made a difference in the taste of that meal? Have you ever added an ingredient to a meal that made a difference in the taste? I know one thing that comes to mind, and it may be nasty to some people, but I kind of like the Tabasco sauce on pizza. I kind of like to sprinkle it on Spaghetti. And I'm sorry um, because this could cause little bad breath, but I do like grilled onions on my In N Out burger. <laughs> and, and I'm from LA. And so there's this thing that you get in those hole in the wall hamburger stands it's, it, it's chili cheese fries. There's these thick fries. Dump chili on it, cheese, sour cream. But one ingredient that I really like to have on my chili cheese fries when I go to L.A. is pastrami. <laughs> and so I'm not, I'm not trying to be fancy, but I do like the pastrami on the, the chili cheese fries so much. And it's affected our family so much that my wife likes it. And so if there's times where I just want to save a little money and not put the pastrami on there, my wife will ask about it. Aren't you going to get the pastrami on it? And so there's some things, of course, as far as ingredients are concerned, that we just have to have on our meal, whatever it may be. But, but tonight, because we are talking about God, we're, we're teaching from the Word of God, the Bible. 
Of course, we're going to bring God into the conversation with that thought of ingredient in mind. And as you keep the word ingredient in mind and you keep God in mind, I just want to submit to you that the the missing ingredient in some cases in our lives is God. And that God, when added, makes a difference. And so I want you to keep that thought in mind as we go through these scriptures. We're going to walk through them. We're going to point out some spiritual nuggets that that the Lord put on my heart to share with you. And I pray that it's a timely word, something that you'll be able to use right here, right now. And of course, praying that the Holy Spirit will help you to apply God's word to your life because the Holy Spirit will work along with the word of God. And so let's look at verse 1 in 1 Samuel chapter 10, where it says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil, which will be olive oil, and he poured it on Saul's head. He kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And so what he's doing is asking, Am I not doing this because the Lord has anointed you leader of his people? So he's letting them know the reason for the oil being poured on his head, on Saul's head. And so Samuel is clarifying that for Saul. And so just as the priests were anointed with oil, so was he. And you can read about that in the Earlier scriptures of the Old Testament, for example, like in Exodus uh, chapter 30, verse 30, about the oil um, being used to anoint the priests. And, and the anointing implies that, that someone is consecrated or set apart to a specific task or duty or office. And in Saul's case, he's consecrated or set apart or I should say appointed to be the first king of Israel. And this, of course, is a private ceremony at this point. It's just Samuel and Saul. And another thing I want to point out in verse 1 is the fact that, that God says the phrase, his inheritance, or Samuel says that phrase, his inheritance. And so, And so Samuel, this man of God, this prophet, this judge, this priest, is letting Saul know that he is the leader of not his people, but God's people. These are, this is God's inheritance, his special possession, in other words. And as we take that in and and really... Uh, meditate on that thought and pause right there, park right there, whatever term you want to use. Uh, I just want to submit to you that, that Christian leaders must also remember this principle that the people are God's people. They are God's sheep. And it tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 2. It says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Again, speaking to pastors, speaking to elders. And, and he says, serving as 
overseers, not by compulsion. So we're not to serve grudgingly or, or feel like we're being forced to serve, but willingly. And not for dishonest gains. So, so pastors or Christian leaders are not supposed to serve out of a greed for money, but eagerly. That means you, you should be excited about it. You should have an enthusiastic type of attitude because you get to serve alongside the Lord. You don't have to, but you get to. It's a privilege to serve with the Lord in his ministry, in his work. You get to impact lives in a positive way, in a spiritual way. And it says in verse 3, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so pastors, church leaders are not to exercise overbearing control over God's people, over those that God has entrusted to the leadership's care, but instead be examples. And so as we preach and as we teach the word of God, it's not just for you. It doesn't just cut one way, it cuts both ways. It's applicable to me too or whoever's up here having the privilege to share the word of God. The word cuts both ways. But I like that promise there about the chief shepherd. See, pastors, senior pastors, we have to remember that they're under shepherds. Under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And it says that the faithful pastors, those who serve well, those who are being godly examples to the flock as they should, will receive the crown of glory. And that crown of glory does not fade away. And so this word here, this phrase here of remembrance, that of remembering that the people were God's people, again, is for people today, too, who are in Christian leaderships. And so when you think of literal shepherds, not spiritual shepherds, when you think of those literal shepherds there, they, they protect the literal sheep. They, they tend to their injuries. They shelter them. They lead them to areas where they could graze or, or eat on that grass and lead them to places where they would drink water. And so spiritually, spiritual shepherds, pastors are... Christians, Christian leaders are called to do the same for God's sheep, for God's people, but of course in a spiritual way. And so the, the pastor, the, the leaders of the church are to protect the flock against false teaching. They're to warn about dangerous lifestyles, things that will harm. They're to help promote a healthy church environment. And so when there's sin in the flock and sin is running rampant, the, the pastors, the leadership must address it. And if that person refuses to repent to the Lord and, and straighten up and fly right, as some would say, then they would not be welcomed back into the congregation unless, once again, they repent. And that principle was in the word of God, of course. If you were to read, for example, 1 Corinthians, in that issue with that man who was, who was sleeping with 
his, I believe, his uh, stepmom in the church. They didn't address it. And the apostle Paul, who wasn't there physically, he had to address it. He even said, hey, I'm not even there. And I have already judged. I've already judged that this is wrong, that you need to address it. And in fact, you need to put that person out, turn them over to Satan. Why? For the purpose of restoration, not just to totally kick the person to the curve, but for the purpose of restoration. You know, so even within the church, we were to judge the matters that, that, that are within the church. And Paul, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to make some... Uh, some good connections there to show them that, hey, you have this authority within the church. You, you need to do this. You need to take care of those sin issues. And, and the point that he brought up was that, don't you know that we're going to judge angels? Now, I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but that's what the word of God says. And so getting back to spiritual shepherds or Christian leaders, we're to protect the flock. And so I would encourage you just knowing that um, the, the Christian leaders, that the pastors have this responsibility. I would encourage you to pray for the Christian leaders, to pray for the pastors, not just of this church, but even of the church maybe you moved on from. Or maybe you're visiting right now. You, you belong to a, another local fellowship. Pray for your pastor. And how about this? Pray for the pastors in our community. And so it's not about us. The body of Christ is much larger than Calvary Chapel. The body of Christ is made up of anyone, of any skin color, wherever they grew up. I grew up South Central L.A. So wherever you grew up, whatever language you speak, if a person repents and put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are a part of the flock of God. They are a part of the church. They are the bride of Christ. And so pray for the people of God. Pray for the leadership throughout the body of Christ in those various local churches. And so we're going to pick up in verse 2. And we're not going to move as slowly as we did, so we only cover one verse. But in verse 2 it says, When you have departed from me today, and remember Samuel is talking to Saul, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? And then in verse three, you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree or the oak tree of Tabor. And there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill or Gibeah of God, where the Philistine garrison or camp is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place of worship with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute and a harp before them or preceding them. And they will be prophesying. And in verse 6, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, Saul, and, and you will prophesy with them, with that group of prophets, and be turned into another man. 
And let it be when these signs come upon you that you do as the occasion demands, that you do, in other words, as the situation requires, for Saul, God is with you. And so Samuel, this man of God, he gave Saul three signs that he's going to see. And those signs are going to confirm or strengthen the word of God about him being the anointed or appointed leader over God's people. And so these three signs are going to be proof, in other words, that that Saul indeed has been anointed and appointed by God to be the first king of the nation of Israel. And one of those signs, by way of reminder, includes two men Saul was to meet by Rachel's tomb. And remember, they're going to tell him about his father's donkeys being found. And that second sign of confirmation of the word of God to Saul uh, will occur at the terebinth tree of Tabor, where there will be three men on their way to sacrifice to God at Bethel, who will greet him and then give him bread. And then that third sign of confirmation, again, just reminding you of what we read, uh, will occur at the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is located and where Saul is going to meet some prophets. And these prophets are going to be prophesying. And then the scripture says that the spirit of God will come upon him. And Saul is also he's also going to prophesy. And so these prophets and Saul will be speaking under the influence or inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, now speaking of confirmation, because we, we see these three signs that God is using or going to use to confirm the, the word to Saul. Speaking of confirmation, we, we understand that God is gracious enough to give us confirmation as well. So maybe God has spoken some things into our lives. Maybe there's some things that have been laid upon our hearts or minds that we're not aware of. And we're just waiting for some type of confirmation. We're not sure if it's our voice. Is it the enemy's? Is it the Lord's voice? What's really going on? Because I can't find a scripture for this thing that has been laid upon my mind and that I've been thinking about over and over. And so God, once again, is so gracious. He's gracious enough to send these confirmations in order to, to, to boost our faith and in order to boost our confidence in what he has told us or in what he has laid upon our minds. And so we thank God for his graciousness in giving us those pieces of confirmation to strengthen that word to us. And I'm the type where I, I like to receive confirmation from God. And I kind of, I, I really do relate to Gideon. In the book of Judges, you know, putting out that fleece, really checking with the Lord. Lord, if this is you, if, you if, if this word is real, show me, do this and that with this fleece. And I really relate to him. And, and, and the reason I, I ask God for confirmation sometimes probably too much is because I don't want to move ahead of God. If there's anything I'm afraid of, I'll say this. I'm afraid of moving ahead of God. When, when God says, wait, I'm afraid of moving too quickly or I'm afraid of doing the opposite and just going off of a feeling when I'm not totally clear that it's the Lord. And so I'm afraid of that. And so I thank God that he's been gracious enough to give many of us. Now, I can't I know I can speak for myself because I've experienced it. And I know we're reading this scripture about Saul and the confirmation he received. But I believe many of you 
And I'm I'm the only one with the mic right now, so I'm going to speak for you. I believe many of you are thankful for the graciousness of God of sending those confirmations to you to help you to determine and discern that, hey, this is really the Lord speaking, and this is really what he wants me or us to do. And in verse 8, it says, you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace or fellowship offerings. And he tells Saul, seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. And so there would be a time that Saul will go to Gilgal based on that verse. And of course, he will have to wait for Samuel in order to receive further instructions from this man of God. And some of us hate to hear that word. When we, when we read that scripture, when, when we read that scripture just now in verse 8, some of you probably began to sweat, break out in sweat once you saw that word wait. And, and that's because many of us don't like to wait. We, we have a hard time waiting for the next thing God wants to do or wants us to do. Because we want to do, of course, the next thing. We want to, of course, be useful. We want to be blessed. We want, of course, to be a blessing. And we want to be obedient. But we just hate that, that sense, getting that sense that the Lord wants us to wait. But the question I have is, what if that's the next thing that God wants us to be obedient to do? Wait. If God says, wait, then guess what? God is wise. He knows exactly what he's doing. God has a plan. God is on his throne. He has never vacated his throne. And and spoiler alert, he never will vacate his throne. He always has been and always will be the king of kings. And the scriptures also says, Lord of Lord. He is the ruler of all rulers. As it says in the book of Daniel You know, God even rules in the kingdom of men. And so a person, a human king, they think they know it all. They, the the president or whoever it may be, a pharaoh, governor, they think they know it all. They think they have all the power, but God is in control. God is in control. And so in verse nine, it says, and so it was when he, speaking of Saul, had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. And all those signs, remember those three signs, they came to pass that day, all in the same day. And and there are some, when we think of that phrase that God gave him another heart, there are some who believe that Saul's change of heart is a valid conversion. Some do believe that. But of course, this view has some challenges due to Saul's actions, what is said about him, and how the Lord dealt with him later on in the book of 1 Samuel. And and Lord willing, if he doesn't come back to get us first, we're going to read about his future actions and what is said about him and all that. And so that's why that view has challenges that this heart is talking about a valid conversion. But but other Bible teachers, and, and I agree with this, Um, And that's why I could say, including myself, they see and I see this change of heart in the sense of him being equipped with abilities to perform the duties of what? Of a king. This this is the topic of him being the first king of Israel. He has been anointed by Samuel with olive oil in a private ceremony to be that first king of Israel. 
And so he has been given another heart by God, being equipped with those abilities. And one Bible scholar says, in regard uh, to this topic, one Bible scholar says that this statement, God gave him another heart, refers primarily to a different attitude and outlook. He would now think and act like a leader, the king of a nation. He would now think like a warrior statesman whose responsibility it was to listen to God and obey his will. So he was being equipped to be a king. And so, of course, he needed another heart because up to that point, he didn't have a kingly heart, so to speak. And so in verse 10, it says, and when they, that is Saul and his servant, came there to the hill or came to Gibeah, depending on which translation you're reading, there was a group of prophets to meet him. And then the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among those prophets. And so what we're seeing here is the third of the three signs of confirmation that Samuel told Saul about. And so this is the only one of the three uh, signs of confirmation that is recorded in the text after it happened. And now we get to talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit. And so we're just going to park here. And so if you're riding a bike or picturing yourself riding a bike, picture yourself putting that kickstand down. Because right now we're going to park here and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about how in the Old Testament, how the Holy Spirit related to people. And we're not going to cover all of it. It's a lot of information. But what I do want to point out to you is that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people to help them to perform a specific task. And this, of course, was not a permanent indwelling. And so that's why when you read in Psalm 51, um, David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, hey, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me because he didn't indwell people permanently. In fact, you see that uh, the, the Holy Spirit sometimes would leave an individual in the Old Testament. And so here in our lesson tonight, we, we see that the coming of the Spirit of the Lord upon Saul inspired him or gave him that ability to prophesy and to equip him as a king. But in the New Testament, of course, this is where we are. We New Testament, we're New Testament saints. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a believer is permanent. In fact, in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, In him, speaking of Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. So after you heard the word of truth in him, in Jesus, we also trusted speaking of believers, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, having believed, guess what? We were sealed. We were sealed with what? The Holy, or with who I should say, the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so there I have to unpack some things. Because after believing, after repenting and putting our faith in Jesus Christ, what happened was we were sealed with the Holy Spirit that God promised to send to believers. And so when you think of a seal, think of a 
stamp. Think of a mark of ownership. You belong to God. I belong to God. We're believers. But also that stamp, that seal, so to speak. And, and what happens is sometimes kings would, would, would wear a ring and they would have their symbol on it. And you would know if something, if a letter or package or whatever came from a certain king because they would take their signet ring and they would impress it into the wax and it would seal the document. And, and so when they would do that, that, that seal would show that, hey, this belongs to that person who owns that, that seal, that signet ring. And so when you think of being sealed by the Holy Spirit, think of ownership. We are owned by God. But also speak, it speaks of security. Because whatever was sealed in the envelope with that wax and then that ring being impressed upon that wax, whatever was in that envelope was was sealed. And so um, you have that assurance there of salvation. You have that eternal security as a believer because the Holy Spirit is our seal. And the Holy Spirit, by the way, is also in verse 14 described as our guarantee. And so God has promised us heaven. He's promised believers heaven. He's promised believers many things to be heirs and uh, joint heirs and heirs along with Christ, that we're going to rule and reign with him that we're going to spend eternity with him, that we're going to see his face one day. There's going to be no more tears, no more pain, no more dying and so forth, that we're never going to die again. And so we'll just die once uh, physically, but then we're going to live on with him for eternity. So there's some things promised to us. And so to give us a foretaste of that, God has given us the down payment of his Holy Spirit. And so if you're a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit is your seal. You belong to him. You belong to God. You are eternally secure. If you're a true believer, and I have to emphasize that, he is our down payment. That, hey, what's promised to us in eternity is going to happen. And so that's why it says he's the guarantee of our inheritance until what? The redemption of the purchased possession. And so he's our down payment until we receive our resurrected or glorified bodies. And so the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for a New Testament saint or believer is a permanent indwelling. But then I want to share with you about the Holy Spirit. And you may have heard this before because many of you are Bible scholars is that believers can have a threefold relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so, first of all, there's that para. That's a Greek word. It means with or it's been translated to with in English. Again, that's para. And, and so what, what I'm addressing here is the fact that the Holy Spirit was with us, para, prior to our salvation, convicting us of sin, wooing us to Jesus. And so he pointed us to Christ, say, hey, you need a savior, convicting us. And some people, unfortunately, they keep, uh, uh, they keep ignoring ignoring the wooing of the Holy Spirit. They keep ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so he's with us prior to salvation, trying to get us to come to Christ. And it tells us this in John 14, uh, verses 16 and 17. So you don't have to believe me. You can believe Jesus. And he says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, speaking of whom, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you 
forever. And so that even goes back to our previous point that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the true believer is forever. It's, it's permanent. Okay, he doesn't, you know, come and go like in the Old Testament. And he's called the spirit of truth, whom guess what? The world cannot receive. So the Holy Spirit only indwells the believer, the true believer. Why? Because the world neither sees him nor knows him. But you, believer, you, child of God, you know him for he dwells with you. And guess what? He'll be in you. And so he comes in us after we repent and put our faith in Christ. And the Greek word for in is in. It's spelled E-N, but, but pretty much so. Again, when we receive Jesus, he indwells us. And now begins that process of conforming us to the image of Christ. And we see this process here in, in John 20, verse 22, when Jesus breathed on the disciples. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit was with them. Now he came in them, Jesus breathed on them, and now they've been born again at this point. It's the born again experience, or born from above. And then there's the third experience we can have. And for some people, this can happen simultaneously with salvation. And it is the epi, the epi experience or relationship. And epi is a Greek word. And it means that the Holy Spirit comes upon us or he comes over us or overflows from us. This is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Remember, John the Baptist says, hey, I baptize with water. That is the, that is the, um, the, the material or agent that I use. I use water to baptize people, John the Baptist said. But there's one mightier than me, Jesus, the Messiah. He comes after me. He doesn't use water to baptize people. He uses what? The Holy Spirit. And so this is what we talk about when we're talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so this can happen at the moment of salvation. This epi experience, this coming upon experience, this baptism experience could happen at salvation or it can happen after salvation. And so, so sometimes we do ask believers, if you've never been baptized with the Spirit, if you don't know what spiritual gifts God wants you to use, come forward. The elders can lay hands on you and pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so, so when the Holy Spirit comes upon us or overflows from our lives, he is not just in us conforming us to the image of Christ. Now he's overflowing from us, helping to us to be effective witnesses and servants for him. In Acts chapter one, verses four and five, it says, and being assembled together with them. Now Jesus is resurrected at this point. He's with his apostles and he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. He said, but to wait for the promise of the father. Notice the P in the word promise is capitalized because it's speaking of the Holy Spirit. So wait, so you're saved. Remember, he breathed on them already, born again. And now they're going to wait for the promise of the Father. They're waiting for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for the upon experience now. The overflowing experience at this point now. And he says, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And of course, not many days from now, was speaking of the day of Pentecost. And in Acts 
um, chapter one, verse eight, a few verses down, if you're following, it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, what? Upon you. In other words, you begin to overflow with the Holy Spirit now, the living water. This is the P, that, that Greek word experience. And guess what they'll be able to do now? With that upon, with that coming upon, with that baptism with the Holy Spirit. They're, they're going to be able to be effective witnesses for Jesus now in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and then to the end of the earth. And so after speaking with his apostles, Jesus would ascend into heaven. And on the day of Pentecost, which is 10 days from this point that we're reading in, in Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit did indeed come upon the disciples who were gathered and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were equipped for service. They were equipped to be effective witnesses for him. And that's such a blessing. I know the disciples, the apostles were so sad to hear that Jesus was going to be crucified. But before Jesus was crucified, he told them something. And what he told them is in John 16, verse 7. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And that's what we saw happen. You know, so we read a little bit in Acts chapter one. But then remember, he ascended. And on that day of Pentecost, after he went away, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they became powerful witnesses for him. And they were able to spread out. And then now his disciples, his followers today, we're able to spread out and share the same good news that these disciples shared. And so that's a short lesson there. Hopefully, I think it was short about the Holy Spirit. But in verses 11 through 16, this is what it says. It says, and it happened when all knew him, because remember, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, gave him the ability to prophesy. And so all those who knew him in the past, they saw they, they, that he indeed prophesied among the prophets. Those people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish, upon Saul? Is Saul also among the prophets? Is he now a prophet? What's going on here? And then a man from there answered and said, but who was their father? Therefore, it became a proverb. It became a saying. Is Saul also among the prophets? In verse 13, and when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. He went to that place of worship. And then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? And so he said to look for the donkeys. And when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. And so Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell them what Samuel has said. And said, so there is some wisdom there in not being careless about with whom you share information. Be careful about with whom you share information, because guess what? Not everybody is going to celebrate with you. You know, God may share something with you that he has in store for you that he wants you to do. Not everybody's going to celebrate along with you. As there's some people you're going to share information with, they're not going to pray about it with you. They're going to gossip. You know, or some people, they just won't keep that information confidential or they may not have your best interest 
and mind. So you just can't share everything with everybody that the Lord has placed upon your heart to pray for. And so there is some type of wisdom here that, that I can see here with, with Saul just not blabbering and, and is telling everything about what Samuel had told him personally. And so I, I think that there's something to be gained from this situation. But in, in this short amount of time, as we think about this study, Saul, Saul has gone from just being a tall, handsome, regular citizen to now being privately anointed as the first king of Israel. You see this man, Saul, he went from someone who was sent to look for for his father's donkeys to a person who is hanging out with a group of prophets and then prophesying with them. And that, of course, was out of character for Saul. And when you think about that being out of character for Saul to the point where people had to question, is Saul among the prophets now? When you think about that, you, you have to you have to come to that conclusion about the fact that the Lord makes a difference. God truly makes a difference because people's character and, and people's abilities, they become different when the Lord gets a hold of them through his Holy Spirit. You know, if you want to go back deeper or prior to this lesson and prior to this book in the Old Testament. You, you have to look at several examples. You have to look at the fact that, that God enabled the judges, for example, to deliver the people from their enemies and, of course, to become heroes. And that's because, of course, God makes a difference via his Holy Spirit. In fact, in speaking about judges, you, you talk about Gideon, that, that man that I mentioned earlier, that judge I mentioned earlier, because Gideon in the scriptures, he went from threshing wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites, the people who were oppressing the Israelites. He was hiding from them. He went from that point, from that attitude to defeating the Midianites with 300 men. And then you read about Samson. You, many people know about this judge. A, a movie recently was made about Samson. But, but Samson, he even tore apart a lion with his bare hands. And, and then he would turn around and kill more Philistines at his death than he killed during his lifetime. And that's because God made a difference. The, the, the Holy Spirit came among him. Okay, you're not convinced about that? Well, we got another Old Testament example. We talk about Daniel. This man of God was able to interpret dreams because of not his ability, but because of God's ability, his power that he had given to Daniel. And then if we look in the New Testament, we see that the difference God can make even in a person who was blind from birth because we see this man who was blind from birth this was able to receive sight because God through his Holy Spirit was able to make a difference even in his life. And then you see this, the early believers in the book of Acts and we were in the book of Acts earlier, but in the book of Acts, how these believers, they, they spoke with tongues after being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you see God making a difference in these believers lives. And then, of course, still in the book of Acts, you see a man who was, a, who was lame, who was unable to walk. 
one point because God making a difference in his life. He was able to walk now and he leaped and he was even able to praise God because now he's able to walk. Oh, God makes a difference even in even in Peter's life, because this same Peter denied Jesus three times, we read in the gospel. And you also read about John, the apostle John, who was one of the disciples who forsook Jesus. And, and he ran when Jesus got arrested, where? In the Garden of Gethsemane. And so now you see those men, one denying Christ three times, one running away uh, as Jesus got arrested and fearful and so forth. But in the New Testament and in the book of Acts, now you see these men speaking and sharing the word of God with boldness. And that's all because God makes a difference and he made a difference in their lives via the Holy Spirit. And you even saw this persecutor by the name of Saul now that we know as Paul today. And he was a persecutor of the church and he was ashamed of it even after becoming a believer. But this guy who used to hate the church. He, he became profitable as an apostle and he was even used by God to write several letters in the New Testament, all because we saw God through his Holy Spirit make a difference in Paul's life, just like he did in the Old Testament, Saul's life. And so as we look at all of these examples, and there's plenty more that we can go over, but the gist of it is that, that God can make, uh, he can make a difference in somebody's life who's, who may be considered mediocre by man. And so he can make the mediocre good and he can make the good thing better and he can make a good thing great because he makes a difference. And, and God can also make the person who's considered to be unqualified, he can qualify them because he makes a difference through his Holy Spirit. And God, if, if you have trouble forgiving somebody, for example, you just can't forgive somebody for whatever reason. God can even make a difference in that person's life and he can make the unforgiving he can make them forgiving because God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. And the same God who can help people do that, the same God who, can, who helped Saul, this, this first king of Israel, become equipped to become a king to, to help him to prophesy. That same God can give strength to the weak. That's the type of dif the, a difference that the God of the Bible can make in people's lives. And, and how about the people who may be arrogant at this time? Oh, he can make that proud person. He can make that arrogant person humble because God makes that different. And, and maybe somebody has a problem with self-control in their lives. Oh, God, through the Holy Spirit, can produce that fruit of self-control in their lives, it's especially those who have no self-control to, to master their sinful desires. Oh, he can help that person to help to have that self-control because he truly makes a difference. He is that ingredient that is missing. And one of the greatest things that God um, helps people to do, one of the greatest things that happens when God is added into the mix is that he can help dead people live. And, and yes, he can help literal dead people, people who die physically live, but there's a bunch of people right now who are physically alive, but they're spiritually dead because they have no relationship with God because they have not put their faith in Christ. And so there's many who are spiritually dead, but, but when you add God to the mix, because God makes a difference, he can help those dead people live. You see, God is not in the business of behavior modification. He, he is not in the business of, of 
of creating or using theories of man to help people to become better, to help people just be good. No, he come to help dead people live, spiritually dead people live, and we can have that life in Christ Jesus. So as the worship team comes to the stage, I want to ask, where are you today in your life? I mean, are there things right now that you want to stop doing? And you feel like you have no ability to stop doing those things, that you have no power to stop doing those things. Where are you today in your life? Are there things that you want to do? Are there things that you've been called to do, but you somehow find yourself unable to do those things that you've been called to do, unable to do those things that you've been wanting to do. And these are things of God. Or maybe there's some things you know you should do, but, but you, you just can't. And you prayed about it, you prayed about it, and you felt like you waited. We talked about, we talked about wait earlier waiting and you felt like you waited long enough and and still you you try again you put yourself out there and it still doesn't work and but yeah you should do it you yearn to do it you have this strong desire to do it but I wonder if you added the main ingredient I wonder if you added God to the picture, the, the one who can truly make that difference. Have you added him to the picture? Or are you going off of your own strength to stop that thing you want to stop doing or to start that thing that God told you to start? Have you added the main ingredient, the difference maker? So we go before the Lord and we're going to pray. And if you fit under that category, we're going to trust God to, to help all of us to, to do what he called us to do and to stop doing those things that he wants us to stop doing. And so, Father, we thank you tonight that you do make a difference. We thank you, Lord, that, that you give spiritual life to those who we're one spiritually dead. We thank you, Lord, that you do want to do great things in and through us and for us. And Lord, many times it's just us getting in the way or just us trying to do things in our own strength. But we need to make sure that we make you a priority and add you to the mix, Father. And so if there's anybody struggling with whatever, whatever sin it may be, maybe it's just a bad habit they want to stop doing, but they haven't been able to because they haven't added you to the mix as much as they thought. And so I pray, Father, that you would give them strength, give them the grace to surrender and truly allow you to have your way, Lord, not only to stop doing certain things, but to perform those things that you called them to do. And Lord, we do thank you for the anointing that we have within us. 
and we have the anointing of your Holy Spirit within us. And so, Lord, that the power that we need to accomplish what you have us to accomplish is there. But we need to plug in. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters who feel, Lord, that they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. And that they must do this and that and just try to be everywhere at once and they can't be. They're trying to stump out fires everywhere, but they're weary because it's it's been in their own strength, Father. And I pray that you would just lift that burden, help them to see that you are that weight bearer, that you are that problem solver, that you are the difference maker. And for that person, Lord, who has not, they've never committed their lives to you, Lord. But they've been putting off the wooing of the Holy Spirit, the conviction. Lord, I pray, Lord, that this will be the night that they would give in and surrender to you, the God who created them, the God who loves them, the God who's able to save them and give them eternal life. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, but never your presence, that you give everyone traveling grace and safety, Lord. That you bless the remainder of their week and use them in a mighty way, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need prayer, please come up. We are blessed to be able to pray with you and for you. And I do, before you leave, like to thank you for coming out. I know it's a struggle for many, but we do appreciate you. We appreciate your prayers even when you're not here. And so be blessed and be a blessing this week. We love you. And if you're able to stand, please do as we sing this last song to our Lord. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.